This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Daniel Smith is somebody that you should know. If you are interested in the U.S. Senior Men's National Team, and if you are interested in the U.S. Youth National Teams, Daniel is a very, very valuable resource. Much like Adam Bells and Joey Antone, Daniel is very, very tuned in with the youth soccer scene and how the players have been progressing from the youth national teams all the way up to the U.S. Senior Men's National Team. Now, why is this important? Well, Daniel can provide a ton of context for what has happened over the years. When the U.S. failed to qualify for the World Cup in 2018, Daniel doesn't just look at that one event as a failure. You rewind all of that and you look at what happened in 2009 and what happened in 2011, not at the senior team level, but at the youth national team level. What were those players doing and what was their success rate at that time in 2009 and 2011? Then you can kind of paint the picture and things start to make a little bit more sense. So I've always found Daniel's perspective very, very unique and he's able to provide the context with stats and with facts and I feel like that is super valuable. That is the reason why I wanted to bring him on the show. Now, what you will hear me refer to multiple times throughout this episode is that Daniel and I actually recorded once before this, and I just didn't feel like we provided enough value in that conversation, mainly my fault, because I went on a tangent, started to rant about some media members. I didn't like the way that the episode turned out, so I asked Daniel to come back on the show, and we recorded what you are about to hear. So thank you to Daniel for not only setting aside time for one episode, but for setting aside time for two episodes worth of recording. I feel like that was very generous of him. And I hope that you guys enjoy listening to Daniel talk about his perspective of the U.S. men's national team and our youth national teams. Just a reminder that this episode is brought to you by the 343 Coaching Education Program. You can find the proven 343 coaching methodology by visiting 343coaching.com. If you are already a member of the 343 Coaching Education Program, thank you so much. And if you are not a member, I highly recommend going to check out what we have to offer there. And whenever you're ready to join the party, our doors will be open. So once again, you can find that at 343coaching.com. All right, let's get into today's episode with Daniel Smith. Uh, let's start again with a uh, with an introduction. I know you uh, you gave a great one the other day, but let's uh, let's start there again. All right. So I was born and raised in Rayford, North Carolina, small town outside of Fayetteville, North Carolina, um, Fort Bragg, Pope Air Force Base, that area. My first soccer memory was the. 94 World Cup and Eric Winalda's free kick. I think um, I didn't know anything about 
the game at the time, but I did know that that looked awesome. And I want to know more about this game. So I became interested. Then I realized a few months later, hey, kids can play this game as well as these grown men on TV. So I started playing. There was there wasn't a huge interest in the area. I come from an area with a I guess you'd call it an American football culture where very few people in the area really love the game. So I more or less had to find the game on my own. Um, I played in co-ed leagues. Then there was a boys league that eventually developed. And then I played in high school. I played, I started out playing as a defender, but I moved to goalkeeper. My high school team, uh, we, we weren't great. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my freshman year, we, the program won its first ever game. So I kind of like to hang my hat on that. It's like, Oh, didn't win a game till we showed up. Look at us. Uh, <laughs> and then my high school career ended and the frustration, I guess, well, not, not super frustrated, but just thinking, man, I don't, I didn't become as good as I, wanted to be slash thought I would slash all these, all these, I got sent off in my final high school game, by the way, um, it <laughs> arguing with a teammate then pushed him into the goalpost. I did not know the goalpost was there. <laughs> uh, we were just, we were going at it. We were competitors and I gave him a shove and he hit his head on the back of the goalpost and straight red for me. And, I was like, I get it. I get it official. I wasn't even arguing, but at the same time, I was man, I didn't even see the goalpost. It was my buddy, but, but <laughs> I'm, we had, we had known each other for a long time. I'm getting sidetracked. Um, and during my time playing in high school, I discovered the youth national teams. Um, when I started watching in the nineties, I could only watch the men's national team and then MLS started showing games on ESPN and ESPN two. I didn't have these channels where I could watch the European game. Um, my only interactions, I guess you could say with the European players is if they came over to MLS or just wait for the world cup. So, um, but my interest with the, Youth national teams came around the 03 U20 World Cup. I remember we took Argentina to the brink in the quarterfinals, but we lost an extra time. I was 17, and I do remember, like, oh, you know, the narrative being USA is getting better. We took a world power Argentina, their under 20s to the brink. We could have won. Maybe we should have won. And then that's when I became interested. I think it was um, Bobby Convy who scored for us in 03. And uh, yeah, ever since then, I've been very interested with the youth national teams, youth prospects, um, who is in a good spot to contribute to the national team when they're, you know, 
22, 23, 24. And yeah, I've just, that's just been my interest for, for a long time now. And not, and not just an interest. Um, well, I, I, I guess it, it is an interest, but you've taken it to a little bit of a different level, much like Adam Bell's, much like Joey Antone and, and some of these other guys who you're familiar with, I've had on the show before. And, and you guys are a, a step above the casual fan many steps above the casual fan, I guess is the appropriate way to say it. So when, when you start to watch these youth national team games, you're also starting to um, dissect all this information that, that you have at your disposal. And so, or sorry, collect and then dissect. So I'm really curious about what information you started to look at, or you started to keep and how you've used that over the course of time. So can you talk a little bit about like, you know, what you kept an eye on, who you kept an eye on, how you, how you collected and, and recorded certain data? Yes. Um, well, I always thought, <clears throat> I always thought of our youth national teams as a bit of a pipeline to the national team more so than other countries, I think, because if you look at rosters from the, late 90s early 2000s there was a you know fairly bit of success from transition to a u20 world cup team to the national team slash playing in a world cup and i think for a country like the united states taking players from a u20 team and can they play in the World Cup? Did they play in the World Cup? Will they play in a World Cup would be the goal for uh, the national team. So starting in 05 to the 2011 under 20 qualifying roster, I say qualifying roster because we did not qualify for the U20 World Cup that year. If you take 2005, 2007, <clears throat> 2009, and 2011, you take all those rosters, U20 rosters, and say there were only two players from those 80, I think 84, that started a World Cup match for the United States. Do you want to guess who they are? I think you know who they are already. <laughs> told but... me the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh, Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley. Now, those are the two biggest, I guess you'd say, lightning rods for criticism in U.S. soccer circles. And, you know, if a player has a bad performance, yes, they do deserve criticism. While at the same time, who, who else was there? And it's, it's, it's hard to look. Look at all, and Benny Failhaber also played in a World Cup, but he came off the bench. So, really, three players out of those 80 something even set foot on a World Cup field. Um, 05, we made it out of the group. I, I think in 05, we didn't even concede a goal. And we played Argentina, we played Germany, and I can't remember the other team we played. Um, but 
lost in the round of 16. In 07, we made it to the quarterfinals. In 07, we beat Brazil, and that Brazil team had uh, Marcelo, William, David Luiz, um, Pato, and another one I can't remember. But, you know, there was some really nice transition in that Brazil team from the U-20 to their senior team. And then we beat um, Uruguay in the round of six. We beat Suarez, a young Suarez and Cavani in Uruguay in 2007. So, and in 2009, we didn't get out of the group for the first time since we did not qualify. I did a little history research on the U-20s. We didn't qualify in 95 because it was a very, it was a much smaller tournament then. But since then, we qualified and made it out of the group except in 2009. And there's some serious foreshadowing with this, <laughs> with this result. <laughs> um, so if you, all right, so we went into the final group game against South Korea. All we needed was a draw. Um, we lost three nil to this South Korea team and the goal scores in that game. I have this written down. And I've practiced it on multiple occasions. So I think I'm pretty good with these names. So I'm going to give it my absolute best shot. Kim Young-Gwan scored the first goal. Kim Bo-Kyung scored the second. And then Hu Ja-Kyo scored the third goal. Okay. Now, all three of those goal scorers went on to play for South Korea in the 2014 World Cup, not just make the roster, they got on the field, they got in games, okay? That 2009 United States roster, you could say probably the most successful in terms of national team appearances is Jorge Villafania, but that team also had the likes of Breck Shea, Nick's Discarude, um, players that eventually just when when the time came for them to be in their prime did not did not happen for them one way or the other and then in 2011 we did not qualify we lost to i believe it was Guatemala yeah Guatemala in the game that would have clinched our spot now Thomas Rongen was the coach for all of these teams, 05, 07, 09, and 2011. To be completely fair to Thomas Rongen, Bob Bradley took his best forward at the time in Juan Agudelo. He was with the national team. If you look at the dates of the qualifying tournament, it overlaps with the... You remember when Agudelo scored against Argentina that you know, two foot tap in after the goal mouth scramble. Yeah. The U 20 qualifying tournament was going on at that same time. And we, at the time, probably Agadella was the best striker in that player pool. Now, Bobby Wood was also on that team. And I think it's fair to say he, you know, people would, most people would pick Bobby Wood over one Agadello in 2018, but, uh, <laughs> But 
Rongan's best goal scorer at the time was not with the team. And I just, you look at 09, didn't make it out of the group for the first time since, you know, we didn't qualify in 95. And then 2011, we didn't even qualify. And then you fast forward from 2011 to that night in Trinidad, you know, six years later. And, you know, from the U-20 perspective, the youth national team perspective, it it kind of makes sense how there's this pipeline to the from the U-20s to the national team dried up for one reason or the other. Yeah, it uh like you said that there there can be some uh some serious foreshadowing and if you were to look at you know the the derailment of the the U20 program throughout 2009, 2011 and then maybe in just a second you can catch me up on what happened in the years following but when you look at that at, at those two age groups compared to their their peers in other countries like those teams, those those U20 rosters at that time in 2009, 2011 should have been peaking at their senior careers around 2016, 2017, 2018. And so if you if you look at that and you track it like, OK, well, yeah, Breck Shea was on the field. Where was Breck Shea? Was he a key member of our national team in 2017? Was he the, the go to guy? No, he wasn't. And, and you named a couple other guys too, like Mix, uh, Mix Discarude and, and some others. Um, even, even Jorge Villafania, like, you know, on the team, but you know, is he the guy that was like peaking and, and somebody that we can rely on? Uh, I don't know. That'd be a stretch. Um, so yeah, you, you kind of look at that 2009, 2011, and then you fast forward really quick and you're like, oh, you know, that makes sense. Like these are the same guys that didn't qualify or didn't get us anywhere six eight, 10 years ago, well, no wonder they weren't going to be the ones to take us to the World Cup. That's my, my perspective. Um, and I, I don't know if you share that same view. I think, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think I, I talk to people and, you know, like it's really easy to play the what if game all day. And I, but I do say, what if Josie and Bradley were only meant to be just solid national team role players. And the actual penciled in, you know, quote, superstars burned out again for one reason or another. I'm not I don't know a lot of personal stories or, you know, all these factors that go into why a player didn't make it. I mean, I you know. In 2007, if you asked me to buy stock in Danny Zatella, Sal Zizzo, Anthony Wallace, um, you know, and a couple others, I, I would have done it. Absolutely. Because I, I thought that there was going to be a lot of transition in this 07 U20 World Cup team into the senior national team. And that, unfortunately, wasn't the case. Now, tell me a little bit about your your process of of just like collecting and, and capturing that data over time. So, how how do you keep track of all this stuff? Do you do you do spreadsheets? Do you do notebooks? What are what are you using to log all this stuff? And then going back to kind of draw um, draw some 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 oh god I can't talk right now. Draw conclusions <laughs> from all the stuff that you've uh, that you've acquired over the years. 
Well, I used to keep a, a notebook. I used to write down um, rosters, like you, you, whatever, just any youth roster. I used to write it down. And then, you know, when I got hit with technology, I started just using spreadsheets and you know, just keeping track of call-ups, how many call-ups in a year, how many call-ups over the course of, you know, like a a two-year cycle, a four-year cycle. Is this player playing up an age group or, you know, like a, a Josh Sargent, he played up an age group because he was also U17 eligible, but he played in the U20 World, in, in the last U20 World Cup as well. So it's just, you know, it, I didn't have a, a huge problem, I think, transitioning from notebooks to spreadsheets because I, I knew what I wanted it to look like and I knew how to organize all the data because I had been doing that since probably 2005. So it was... It was, you know, it took a little bit of setting up, but once I got going, it wasn't super difficult to keep track of. Describe a little bit about like what or, or how you're how you're using that data. So you mentioned like a Josh, uh, Josh, gosh, I cannot talk today, Sergeant, and um, and playing up an age group, and 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 you mentioned uh, how many call ups people are are getting in throughout the year what what are you i guess what i'm trying to ask for is like what do your columns look like in your spreadsheets like what actual data or what other data are you are you looking at and how are you using that to to you know release information out about like if you tweet something out yeah well it's it's not like a super in-depth type of spreadsheet i just keep track um of numbers I, it's it's organized by last names and you know number of call-ups i'll just change a two to a three or a five to a six or something along those lines and then you notice you start to notice over a cycle who a coach you know maybe tends to favor or who a youth coach is given a look or <clears throat> Also, who has come on really strong in the last, you know, couple months of a cycle, just things like that. And I use that to hopefully predict a roster and, you know, predicting a youth roster is extremely hard because you have to factor in clubs not releasing players, um, injuries, clubs don't have to disclose and things of that nature. Yeah, Tab Ramos went on Adam's podcast recently and talked about how difficult that actually is to to form number one form their relationships with the with the clubs and and just piecing everything together at the right time. Like the the dates for the World Cup don't change, so it's you know what guys do you have available for those those qualifying tournaments, um, the friendlies, those types of things, and and how can you get all your best players together at, at that time? It takes 
you know, a, a little bit of a, a little bit of skill. And Tab did a good job of opening up and talking about that on Adam's podcast recently. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say when when Tab took over, it was it was not an easy task because you look at the players he used and I think from that 2013 under 20 roster, the world cup roster, I think there are just as many players not playing anymore just five years later as there are people making a profession out of playing the game. So that, you know, to get the program back on track was really hard because you had guys like uh, Mario Rodriguez, uh, Villarreal, uh, Daniel Cuevas guys. So I thought it's like, okay, these guys actually look, they look pretty good. I, I think they'll eventually grow into national team players probably won't be teenage sensations or, you know, 21 sensations, but, None of those guys turned out to be successful professionals. And then you have a guy like DeAndre Yedlin who came out of nowhere. Um, he played one match with the U-20s and Tab said, I got to have this guy. So, you know, uh, sometimes you really bank on players and spend time with players and call them in and then other times a player comes from out of nowhere and you say, yep, he's, I got to have it. And uh, Yedlin and, and Trapp are really the only ones that played uh, on that team. There was also Stefan and Acosta, but they didn't play in the 2013 edition, but they did play in the 2015 edition. So I grouped them with that squad versus the 2013 squad. But uh yeah, it looks like Yedlin and Trapp are really the only ones that did anything more or less at the professional level. Tell me about the, I guess the, the biggest surprise that you've noticed over the over the course of you, you keeping a close eye on on players making the jump from U twenty to the senior team. Um, maybe tell me about the biggest surprise that that you've seen and then tell me something you know maybe that you've gotten I, I don't I, I don't want to ask this question the wrong way so tell me something that you've maybe gotten wrong like you you've you said that you use this data to kind of predict and if you and you've mentioned also like you would have put stock in these guys or you would have put stock in this guy so what's what's one thing that surprised you and then maybe one thing that that you've gotten wrong over the over the course of all this data collection uh, let's see. One thing that surprised me was, let's say, I'll, I'll answer, I'll give two answers. I'll say uh, <laughs> Bobby Wood surprised me. I thought Bobby Wood was, you know, I thought he was an okay youth forward, but will that transition to a pro career and the senior national team? I, you know, if you asked me in 2011, I would have said, I'll give it 50, 50 at best, but that surprised me. Also, um, 
Shaq Moore with the 2015 team. He shared starts with um, Xavier Payne. I I think I said that right. But uh, <laughs> he shared starts with Payne, and I thought Shaq Moore was like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to make it to the senior national team, but he, he has. And something I've gotten wrong, I – let's see. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was really – I was younger. I was 19, but that, uh, that Chad Barrett goal against Argentina, I was like, okay, all right, Chad Barrett. He might, he might do something for the senior national team. He might play in a world cup for us. He might do all these, all these things at the senior national team level. And, you know, never, never happened for him. I I'm going to be completely honest. I do not know who Chad Barrett is. So I think that's, yeah, a lot. <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, you know, that, I think that goal against Argentina was more or less his, his shining moment in the U S Jersey at, at any level. Uh, he became a, you know, an MLS player. He played for Seattle. He also played for Chicago and I, I would have to, I would have to look up the other teams he played for, but I, you know, I was a young 19 year old and I thought, okay, this guy might, he might make some noise, but you know, it didn't happen for him. So Daniel, I guess the, the thought that I have floating around in my head and the reason why I really enjoy following guys like you guys, like Joey guys, like Adam is because of the fact that everything that happens at the senior men's national team level has a little bit of precedence, not a little bit, has a lot of precedence um, at the at the youth national team um, level. So these guys, like you're mentioning Shaq Moore, like a lot of times I think a casual U.S. men's national team fan would be like, where did the Shaq Moore guy come from? Or where did Timothy Weah come from? You know, and, and these guys that, you know, just appear to burst on the scene well it's like no they didn't really burst on the scene they've been they've been in the pipeline for quite a while and the work that you do and the and you know the collection of data over the course of many many years helps to paint a, a really really good and clear picture of what the future might look like for the senior men's national team and i feel like that's super important and that not enough uh, attention goes to that that type of work that you and Joey and Adam are doing. So that's really the, the, the big interest that I have in, in what you do and, and why I think that it's important. So looking forward now, if we're, if we kind of zoom in on our current uh, youth national team rosters and our current senior men's national team roster, what are, what are some things that either you're excited about or that, that you kind of want to predict for either the next two years, four years, six years, whatever. So maybe, maybe just like a, a quick prediction for, from you, uh, for the future. All right. Yeah. So if you look at the last national team roster of 2018, and then you look at the 2015 U20 qualifying team, it, uh, we had a pretty 
good size chunk from that team. We had Zach Steffen, Kellen Acosta, Romain Gall, Shaq Moore, Matt Miazga, Ethan Horvath, uh, Carter Vickers. And, you know, Steffen was replaced because of a hamstring injury, but he was still initially called in. And then you have a guy like Russell Knauss, who, you know, again, for one reason or another, it didn't work out for him in Europe. And then he came back to DC United or came back. He came to DC United. And I don't think he's done with Europe. I think, or hope as a fan, I hope that he will wind up there again. Um, prediction for the future. I think the, the U twenties will, will be pretty good. I think the 2001 birth year is really is looking strong from a youth standpoint. And again, these were kids born in 2001. Most of them are 17 and there's a long ways to go before they're 23, 24, 25. But I think the 01 birth year is strong. I think the 02 birth year can get us some real, some top talent. Um, I think at the U17 level, the biggest question mark is center back play. Um, from the Nike friendlies to the tournament in England where we beat Brazil, but we had to come from behind. And we beat we also beat Russia, but we had to come from behind. It seems that the best option recently was taking for the U17s taking left back Kobe Hernandez and moving him to the middle just because he's a bit more comfortable on the ball than, uh, than the other center back options. So I think that's an area that might be one to watch because I still think spots are up for grabs there. I, for the U twenties, I think we will, I think we'll do pretty well. Um, as long as we avoid a 2013 group, which was Spain, France, and Ghana, (laughs) that, you know, and I think if we avoid some type of group like that, I think the U20s could do, could do pretty well if we get close to the best available um, I think it's going to be your classic Tab Ramos four three three, and I think a, a lot of good can come from that. And I think, you know, I would hate to be Tab Ramos when it comes to naming the number one goalkeeper for that group, because you have um, Brady Scott, you have David Ochoa, and then you have CJ Dos Santos. That's that's hard. I wouldn't want to make that decision because all three could more than likely stake a claim to be the starter. So yeah, for the future, I think the biggest question mark is center back. Now there is a, <laughs> there's a 13 year old at Espanol. Uh, he plays center back. His name is Thomas Davis. He could emerge in the next four or five years. Um, 
you know, after that, I got, I don't have a big, (laughs) big database on center backs younger than the 03 birth year. So, well, it's just crazy that you already have data on, on 2003s and, and, you know, those are, those are kids, but like I, like I kind of hinted at earlier is that, you know, that's, they're already, they already have eyes on them um, from, from like a scouting perspective and, and the national team has already got kids in the pipeline. And so if we keep an eye on them now as fans, as coaches, as, you know, as interested members of American soccer, that'll, that'll help us. Uh, have a better understanding of of what to expect when the you know when the 2022 World Cup run, or comes around and when 2026 comes around and to kind of just be mentally prepared for what may or may not happen. I think if people you know, and I'll include myself in this, like if I would have paid more attention in 2009 and 2011, I would have been a little bit more mentally prepared for us to not make the world cup in 2018, uh, you know, with the, with the predictors or sorry, with the, um, with the events that happen, you can kind of predict what the future may hold. So if people really want to get a better understanding of, of the U S men's national team, the coaches, the players, they should really just be keeping a close eye like you do on the youth national team setups. And, and that would be, in everybody's, I, I think, best interest when it comes to the next couple World Cup cycles. So, that's yeah, my, that's and <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, I've been coaching high school for the last five years, and I think coaching that age level or younger has really helped me um, develop. I don't know how to word this. How tough it is to really get a squad full of 21 teenagers on the same page. Now, you know, I'm not comparing a random North Carolina high school to the U20 or U17 national team, but at the same time, you know, kids are kids. And at the same time, they all like to mess around on social media. And at the same time, you know, there's all these similar traits that these age groups uh, share, regardless of their level of soccer ability. Absolutely. And, you, you know, what, one, last, uh, one last thought that came to my mind earlier, and it just reentered my brain as you were talking, is the relationships that players develop uh, on the national team and how they how how that kind of plays out over the course of time and so you you pointed out that you know two of the guys that were part of an earlier U20 cycle were Josie and Michael and then they end up being two key members of the national team the the full senior men's national team and they also have a you know pretty successful go at at the club level together in, in Toronto. So it's kind of interesting to watch how, or to, to maybe look back on how their relationship together developed over time. And so if we keep a close eye on the relationships that are already forming at this youth level, now we can kind of see or predict, um, who will play those, those key roles together. And, and so like, an obvious example that that I can point out is the relationship between Alex and Uli. Like those guys have yeah. been those guys have been together since they were ten years old. 
And so, you know, it's for, for people to be able to, to look back and, and see how they've developed to now and keep a close eye on, on what they're going to be up to in the future. Like that's pretty special. Um, and then if you look at the, the core group of guys that have been in the U 17 and now the U 20 cycle, and you know, you take Uli and Alex and who do you, you know, who do you partner them up with? Like, is it a, a Richie Ledesma is, is Tim Weah in that, in that category? Um, some of the other guys, I'm, I'm not going to go through the entire roster, but, uh, right. but it's like, like who, who has those relationships right now and how are those going to take them or how, how is that going to be taken to the next level at the senior men's national team? I think is, is super, super interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah. And you know, if, if a player comes from out of nowhere, it's, you know, like a Deandre Yedlin, it will be interesting to see just how quickly they could gel with this group because the, you know, like tab hinted on Adam's podcast, he named a couple of guys and then he said, and others, he named like a, a Conrad De La Fuente. He said, you know, maybe he brings him in and puts him on the right. And then, you know, you got Uli on the left and then Alex kind of dictating play in the center. Um, if that happens, it would be interesting to see how Alex and Conrad would, you know, interact with each other, run off of each other. Um, yeah. So those, those relationships formed at the youth level can most definitely carry over to the national team level, especially the likes of a, you know, Landon Donovan, Demarcus Beasley. I'm going yep. way, way yep. back. Yep. You hear about the U, the U17 uh, World Cup team from 99. And in my humble opinion, that's the best youth national team ever because that national team, that under 17 team had five players that started a world cup game. You had Landon, you had DeMarcus, you had Anyewu, you had Bobby Convy, and you had Kyle Beckerman. And the, the relationships they had there definitely helped the national team progress and those lack of relationships that those you know the hodgepodge lineups we had in 2017 you could tell it's like okay well these guys don't really have that that pipeline experience that was there in the past it's a very good point it's a very good point um all right any uh any last words anything anything you feel like we we didn't get to that you that you wanted to cover that uh, um, want to make sure people hear. Just, uh, I do think injuries played a part, and I think another piece of the puzzle is the United States as a country failed in that next man up uh, aspect of the game. You have guys like Stu Holden, Joshua Gatt, uh, Joe Gao or Jiao. Sorry, um, those, you know, especially. Josh and Joe, they were on the up and up. They were slowly but surely climbing that club ladder in Europe. And these guys would have been in their prime in 2017. Who knows that we would have had the best tandem wingers in CONCACAF, quite possibly. Maybe. You always wonder what if and things like that happen. But, yeah, I think uh, 
injuries played a played a part. And that's not USA specific. Every country has to deal with injuries. But I guess I think that the bigger picture points to that the whole, you know, next man up aspect of national teams didn't didn't happen at the senior level. Absolutely. Well, uh, I appreciate your time, man, and I appreciate you uh, you setting aside additional time actually to do a round two. I feel like this was way more way more productive and and way more valuable for people to listen to. Um, where uh, where can people find you and and find the information that you like uh, that you like sharing with the world? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter. It's at Daniel Smith ten twenty two. Again, it's at Daniel Smith ten twenty two. I'm a I'm a pretty laid back guy. Um, so, you know, I'm always willing to discuss points, talk points. Um, the older I get, I just, I'm just not into arguing just to argue. <laughs> I'll just kind of, you know, I'll just kind of mute the conversation and go grade papers. But, uh, but yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm always up for having a, a, what do you call it? A, good discussion about u.s soccer in general yeah man i actually i I just came up with an idea maybe we can do it uh i need to get you adam and joey on the phone all at the same time and record an episode with you guys oh wow that'd be yeah oh yeah oh yeah all right man well uh let's uh let's catch up again soon and and keep doing what you're doing dude I, i feel like your work is super valuable so i please keep sharing what you know with the world All right. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you. All right, brother. We'll catch you later. All right. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. If you are interested in finding more episodes of the 343 podcast, or if you are interested in learning about more of the benefits of the program that helps to support and fund this podcast that you just listened to, you can find all of that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343, the word coaching, all spelled out, .com. To tell you a little bit more about his experience with one of our online programs, here is Tom Beyer. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student and as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, you can find all of that information by going to and visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343, the word coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right, we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 podcast. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting the work that we do. Thank you.